Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers.com. And welcome to another podcast at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers Local 139, Madison Teachers Incorporated, Madison Firefighters Local 311, and Madison Teamsters Local 695. Joining us now from the Milwaukee area, service and hospitality workers, Peter Rickman. Comrade, welcome to the show. Hey, Sly, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. All right, so your organization works with the SEIU and... The SEIU is trying to get labor rights back for UW workers that were stripped away in the brutality of, uh, I guess it was, was that Act 32? I forget all the numbers, but it was, a, it, was, it was a sister project to Act 10. Well, Sly, when Act 10 was adopted by Scott Walker and Robin Voss and their anti-worker cronies you know, 10 years ago now, um, they, they stripped the rights away, not only from hundreds of thousands of public service workers around Wisconsin, uh, they took those rights away from the quasi-public employees that run uh, the University of Wisconsin Hospital and uh, Clinic Authority. So uh, for 10 years, those nurses and housekeepers and lab techs and dietary aides have worked without basic fundamental human rights in the workplace. And because without, because they have not had a voice in a seat at the table, you know, their service and sacrifice has gone unrecognized with what they need for far too long. Now, we've always known that about our healthcare heroes on the front lines, that they, they serve and they sacrifice for the greater good. And at no point in time in our lives has that been more evident than in the past 15 months with this pandemic. And just prior to COVID-19 hitting, those nurses there had had enough and said, we want our union back. And a majority of them signed union cards demanding that their boss recognize them. The boss sloughed it off and then got bailed out by the pandemic where nurses and other healthcare workers around this state, around the country, said, we have a duty. We have a duty to our patients and the public health, and we are going to go to work. And things went on pause. And workers felt like, well, maybe this pandemic is going to give us a chance to secure our rights, to get a voice and a seat at the table that's effective and meaningful. And unfortunately, the management over there at UW Hospital and Clinic Authority has chosen not to use what authority they do have to recognize that body of workers as a union and negotiate with them, and has made life tougher, more difficult to them. So nurses and other healthcare workers at the hospital have said, you know, enough is enough. Our service and sacrifice has more than earned us a seat at the table in the pandemic and in the lives that we have dedicated to caring for people in, in public health. So this bill is a statement of exactly. All right, so you got to explain to people what you, you you jumped over part. Explain the bill, and 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 well, who's and who's introducing it. Yeah, this is a really interesting thing, Sly. And 
you know, we start to get into some of the minutiae of policymaking. Uh, first of all, the answer to your question about who's introducing it is that rock solid champion for workers, uh, particularly healthcare workers and nurses, Melissa Aggert from the Madison area. Um, you know, I, I got to say, there is one person that we can always count on to be a voice for workers and for healthcare workers and nurses. And the first call I always make is over there to Melissa. Um, she and her colleague, Lisa Subek, an equally strong champion for workers' rights and care workers, uh, worked with us to develop this bill. This hey, wait early. a minute. Are you telling me that Senate President Chris Kapanka is not helping with this? <laughs> Chris Kapanka, <laughs> uh, as of yet, has not signed on as a co-sponsor <laughs> to the UW uh, Hospital Workers' Bargaining Rights Bill. But but stay tuned, Sly. I'll get back to you if Chris Kapanka does, does come around on that. He's the official, um, he's the official Senate towel snapper. And frat boy. <laughs> oh, the image of him snapping towels in the locker room, running around with you know his hat on backwards, sipping a natty light, saying, "Come on, bro!" Just strikes me as, as the sort of thing that you know justifies a certain degree of vigilance. Where else do you get to talk like this other than on my podcasts? Well, the truth is, I don't make it a habit of going on other people's podcasts. Oh, good. I can't talk like this. I feel, you know? <laughs> I feel honored. You know? Okay, so this is, uh, and, and by the way, have you seen what Senator Agard does? She puts up, when she gets a new employee or somebody's volunteering in her office, she always posts a picture with them and thanks them for their work. What a nice thing to do. I, I know well, that I have... that might just seem pedestrian, but the, the truth is it's all too rare in politics. Yeah, you know, I have a tremendous pleasure to work with folks like Melissa. And, you know, in fact, later today, I'm going to be on the phone with her office about another bill that we're working on together. Uh, she really is truly a champion for the working class. And I can't say enough great things about her, the way she runs her office, the way she treats her role as a policymaker. Um, this, this is something that, that I think folks probably don't recognize because they're used to politicians getting out there and, and being out front. And for some politicians, they have to. You know, Melissa's approach, by the way, when, when we introduced the Union Voice for uh, Quality Patient Care UW uh, Act last week, that's the UW Hospital Workers Bargaining Rights Bill, you know, she made it a special point to say, we got to have nurses speaking at this. You know, I can introduce people, but this isn't about me speaking and grabbing the camera. It's about these nurses. This bill is about my role, Melissa's saying this, of making sure that their demands are heard in the policymaking process. It's really rare I think all too rare amongst politicians to do it. And uh, Melissa absolutely does it the right way. Um, so, uh, you know, your listeners ought to know that uh, they'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's a better champion for working people in the legislature than Melissa Agard. All right, how would this bill work? <clears throat> well, you've asked a really interesting question here in a lot of ways, slide because I think a lot of folks, particularly your listeners, know that public sector workers had rights taken away. Union rights were all but eliminated with Act 10. But UW Hospital and Clinic Authority workers were actually covered by a different part of state law, and they were eliminated completely. Unlike public sector workers across the state employed by the state and, and municipalities, they were written out of the law entirely. So not only did they not have uh, the limited collective bargaining rights that like city workers do, for example, they also don't have a prohibition. Their employer is not prohibited from bargaining with them or, or dealing with them in a different sort of way. So right now, the UW Hospital and Clinic Authority management could say, well, a majority of nurses have said they want a voice in the seat at the table, and we're going to recognize that voice in the seat at the table. We're going to meet and confer with them. We're going to negotiate a memorandum of understanding. So instead of calling it collective bargaining and calling it a union contract, they could 
do it slightly differently. They, there's nothing holding them back from doing that here today, Sly. But what this bill does, it says we are going to guarantee collective bargaining rights, union rights, a formal voice in the seat of the table and a process for nurses and other healthcare workers at the UW hospital to exercise them. Uh, it's really the gold standard for what nurses and healthcare workers at the UW hospital and clinic authority ought to have. It's saying this is what should be the case. But again, nothing's holding back management from, you know, recognizing the will of the majority and the service and sacrifice these workers made uh, seeking a voice and a seat at the table. Um, and in fact, our view here is that the management over there at UW Hospital and Clinic Authority could look at this bill and say, well, that's a template we ought to take up. But the truth is, this shouldn't be up to management. These are basic fundamental rights. And that's what policymakers need to act on the Union Voice for Quality Patient Care at UW Act. That's what we're calling this. Uh, it really is about a union voice for quality patient care. Policymakers ought to ensure that workers' rights are always protected and exercised with state statutes behind them. So, you know, Devin Lemihue in the Senate, Robin Voss in the Assembly, they ought to come together right now and say, let's give this a fair shot. Um, let's have a vote on this. Let's have a hearing on it. Let's have some votes on it. Let's see where the policymakers in the legislature stack up. I'd like to think, Sly, that after the last year, the last 15 months, policymakers, Republican, Democrat, and otherwise, could come together and say that nurses and our healthcare workers in hospitals, nursing homes, clinics, et cetera, these healthcare heroes, they do deserve a voice in the seat of the table. Now's the time to recognize that service and sacrifice and ensure they have what they need. Uh, so policymakers in the legislature ought to pass this bill tomorrow to make sure that nurses and healthcare workers at our UW hospital have what they need. Can you have you got a specific thing during this pandemic? Where would uh, union rights have helped them during this pandemic? I'm sure there's a long list, but give me a couple examples. Well, I, I think some things that that your listeners probably know and recognize is that folks at the UW Hospital and Clinic Authority, for example, were 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 directed by management with no recourse, by the way, under threat of discipline, um, to wear the same personal protective equipment for 30 days or more at a time. Now, you can't tell me that in the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, an, a, a pandemic rooted in respiratory uh, droplets, that having the same masks on day after day after day, patient after patient after patient, moving in and around the hospital, you can't tell me that wasn't a, a real compromise to patient care. And nurses and healthcare workers there wanted to speak up about it, and some of them did. But the truth is, without a union contract, A, they didn't have a vehicle and a voice to bring that to management, where the power is balanced between those managers and workers to deal with that issue. And then when workers had to resort to other self-help measures to try to raise up this issue, they were under the threat of discipline because they didn't have a union contract that guaranteed progressive discipline and a just cause standard that would require management to have a good reason for taking disciplinary action. And by the way, speaking out about unsafe conditions is not a good reason for a nurse to be disciplined. So that's a pretty important thing. That speaks to patient care right there. I think that things like staffing ratios in hospitals are incredibly important. I don't know about you, Sly, but if I end up in a hospital for some reason, God forbid, I want to make sure that I am a priority of the nurse that is caring for me, and I want to make sure that that nurse can, in fact, prioritize me. I don't want to be there as one of their... 15 patients. I want to be there as one of more like five to eight patients. And if nurses have a voice in the seat of the table to negotiate over those things, that's a win for patient care. Um, I think folks probably saw in, in your listenership in our Madison that the Meritor Hospital nurses almost went on strike 
almost went on strike over their employer not recognizing that service and sacrifice during the pandemic and their use of sick time uh, to, to care for themselves and their families or to deal with the fallout from the pandemic or the fact that they were mandated over for additional shifts. And those nurses were able to, through the, the voice and seat at the table afforded in collective bargaining, secure a dramatic increase in their paid time off coming out of this pandemic. That's exactly what we want to have every nurse and healthcare worker afforded. We want them to be able to care for themselves and their families so they can care for us. We want a nurse that happens to get sick during a global pandemic of a scale like COVID-19 to be able to stay home for two weeks and take care of themselves and isolate and recover so they can come back to work and not have them be a vector of transmission in a hospital. So I could go on for hours here, Sly, but Mm -hmm. the truth is, Every worker deserves a voice and a seat at the table. When it comes to nurses and our healthcare heroes, it's not just them deserving that voice and a seat at the table for themselves as a basic fundamental right. It's about how they look out for patient care and public health at large. What what percentage of, of nurses have union representation in the state of Wisconsin? Do you know? Well, with the exception of the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinic Authority, 100% of nurses have collective bargaining rights. They, they're guaranteed that as private sector workers by the National Labor Relations Act. Um, but unfortunately, Sly, as you and your listeners know well, federal labor law is stacked against healthcare workers and everyone else who punches the clock to bring home a paycheck. The power has been imbalanced with our labor law for decades, um, so it's out of whack. But when you look at a city like Madison, for example, the uh, major hospitals there, um, uh, including Meritor, those workers have a union contract. Um, a strong union contract at that. Um, and nurses over at St. Mary's started to organize advances of the pandemic, just like UW Hospital and Clinic Authority workers were organizing as well, too. Um, but across the state, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty low number of hospital workers with a union contract. I could reference some places, you know, like Gunderson Lutheran in, in La Crosse or Appleton Medical Center, obviously, in, in Appleton. Just down the street from me here in Milwaukee is St. Francis. Uh, hospital, part of the Ascension Network. You know, unfortunately, there's too few of them, but that has less to do with what workers choose and more to do with how the labor law in this country is stacked mm-hmm. against workers. To you know, bosses. I, I have to tell you, the, the, this whole for-profit health care system we have, I've had two primary care physicians in a row quit and go off into private practice or do something else because of the way they were treated by big health care. That's well, true, you know, and those are the and those are the doctors. <laughs> the the most uh, the most advantaged people in the system, of course, are accepting the health insurance company executives and the big pharma executives. Right, they're, they're, they're pretty advanced. But you know, the, the average run of a mill, uh, and 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 I don't mean to demean them in any way, shape, or form, but the, you know, your average family medicine doctor working for these big firms, they get jacked around too. Well, I don't think it's demeaning in, in this sense, Sly. Those primary care physicians are the bedrock of, of delivering the care that covers right. you know, 80% of our life. It, and unfortunately, corporate health care in the United States is just a, a disaster for everyone but those at the top. And whether we're talking about the nurses or we're talking about the physicians or we're talking about CNAs and housekeepers and dietary aides and hospitals and nursing homes, you know, this system is not set up to work well for healthcare workers. And, and by that, I don't just mean in terms of their wages and benefits. I mean in terms of who these folks are and why they get into this work. You know, no one gets into becoming a nurse 
because they want to get rich. They get into it because they want to care for people. And corporate healthcare doesn't allow our healthcare heroes like nurses to focus on care. It, it just becomes another version of, of a factory system here because it's set up to make profits for the insurance company executives, the big farm executives, and now all too often the quote-unquote nonprofit hospital systems. Ah, uh, yes, the Sisters of St. Mary. All right, we'll take a... We'll take a quick break. Peter Rickman with us at SliceOffice.com. He's with the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers. I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SliceOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SliceOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. We're back with Peter Rickman, Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers. SliceOffice.com, brought to you by the great folks, great progressive company uh, that treats their workers very well, Madison Computer Works and Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson. Uh, Peter, I want to talk a little bit about the Republicans the other day tried to uh, cut people's unemployment benefits, saying that uh, these nobody wants to work. Uh, what is your reaction to that? Well, nobody wants to work for starvation wages, Sly. And the reality is we've had broken labor markets in this country for far too long. The pandemic scrambled them, and now as we're starting to emerge from that, we have an opportunity to reshape and refashion the way labor markets work. Um, you know, before the pandemic, we had no shortage of low-wage jobs. Um, we had record income and wealth inequality that clearly demonstrated that we were on our way into another Gilded Age. The pandemic magnified and amplified that in many respects, but it forced a reckoning in some regards, and, you know, those substantially enhanced and improved unemployment benefits, you know, woke people up to the fact that they shouldn't have to go to work and punch a clock to bring home a paycheck that forces them to keep on struggling month to month. And that doesn't matter whether you're a white-collar office worker or a blue-collar person in a factory or, or some other kind of manual labor job. You know, it's utterly outrageous that we have wages in this country that has failed to keep pace with the growth of the richest and most productive economy in the world. So, you know, this talk about, you know, let's get rid of unemployment benefits so we get more folks back to work is just a smokescreen for what big business, corporate interests, and their Republican lackeys have always been trying to do. And that's to rig the system, rig these labor markets against regular working class people. I'm pretty disappointed here, Sly, and a lot of these businesses that are coming out saying nobody wants to work. And we've tried everything to get folks back to work. Well, the truth is they need to reckon with market forces who are saying, you've got to raise wages. They need to reckon with the fact, Sly, here that you don't have an entitlement to my labor. We had a time in this country where there was an entitlement to someone else's labor, and we fought a war over it. And then this country came down on the, fact, on the side that free labor has a right to exist. And right now the free market is saying free labor is looking for much higher wages. Unfortunately, we've seen far too often fly in the decades past. I don't just mean recent history, but going back, you know, generations, that labor market power is imbalanced against working people. And businesses themselves, employers, are not going to solve these problems for themselves, but for a few examples. That's why we need policy intervention here to raise the floor, to raise wages, 
with balance power between bosses and workers so that workers can, in fact, bargain for a greater share of the wealth that we create with our labor. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any restaurateur, hospitality employer, factory, or anything of the like struggling to find people who will come to work for $50,000 a year with health care and a pension. I think you find plenty of folks to flip burgers for $50,000 a year with health care and a pension. And unfortunately, this country has not squared up to the fact that it is basic, fundamental to human nature that all labor has dignity, and we need to have policy made in line with that. So I don't have much time for these employers who are whining about their entitlement to run a business or their supposed entitlement to the labor of working people. I'm really interested in hearing what businesses want to do coming together with policymakers and representatives of the working class to figure out how to make our labor markets work for working people and employers once again. But getting rid of supplemental unemployment benefits only punishes those who can't actually find the sort of remunerative work to replace what jobs they've lost in the past. But we do need to focus here on raising wages, lift the floor and balance the power between bosses and workers in our labor markets so that working people can get a greater share of the wealth that we create in the richest country, the most productive economy in the history of the world. You know, something that's really disappeared from the landscape of the national dialogue, raising the minimum wage. What happened to that? It's like it vanished. Well, I, I hate to say it, Sly, but, you know, when the Biden administration put that forward in their initial budget, we were stuck with a very slim Senate uh, uh, Democratic majority, and not all Democrats are on board with this. And oh, I, I know, Miss Miss Curtsy uh, was against it. Kirsten Cinema from from uh, Arizona, and fortunately, Joe Manchin from West Virginia. They were not for this. Well, uh, wages are fine in Arizona and West Virginia, so don't worry about it, Peter. Well, wages are not fine anywhere, Sly, and <laughs> that's true no matter where you live. You know, we're getting squeezed by increasing rent. We're getting squeezed by the cost of consumer goods going up. That isn't necessarily synonymous with inflation, by the way. And we're getting squeezed by debt, um, not just college debt, and student loan debt, uh, medical debt, but also credit card debt from folks just having to go into to, to that kind of debt to support themselves at a basic level of subsistence at, the, at a time when wages have not been going up. You know, if, if minimum wage slide had kept pace with the growth of productivity, that's my favorite measure, not, not the pace of inflation, because that's sort of a broken figure here. But if minimum wage had kept pace with productivity gains, we'd be talking about a 24 to $26 per hour minimum wage. You think many restaurants would have a hard time finding people to come to work for $24, $25 an hour? Well, when I they're, think. I mean, the funny thing is when you're paying $2.35 an hour or whatever it is to a waitress, um, there, <laughs> there's something wrong. There's something seriously wrong. I mean, I'm, I've never been one for throwing the word socialism around as a, something that advances the ball forward because I just think it's become such a shorthand pejorative, uh, you know, that I just don't think it works. But I will say this. We are, the, the brand of capitalism that we have in the United States seems unusually cruel. Well, I think reasonable people can have a, a debate about the future of political economy in the United States and around the world, you know, and what degree of control and authority and power that working class people should have over the means of production. I, I think that's a legitimate debate to be had, Sly, and, and I, I think that you're right, though, that, you know, when you toss around easy words that don't necessarily mean the same thing to 
the masses of people like socialism. And I think it gets lost. But we should have a debate about whether the capitalist economy that we have in the United States so far as foisted upon us by the billionaire class and Wall Street and the policymakers that, you know, align with their vision. I think we should have a debate about whether it's working for working people. I think the resounding answer is no. Yeah, I think most people would agree on that. You know, I, I think of generations of people that have lived in poverty in Appalachia. And I think about what's happened in northern Wisconsin, where so many mills have closed and so many small businesses have closed. You know, capitalism isn't going to come to the, no matter how many corporate tax cuts you give, it's not coming to the rescue of places like that. Yeah, Madison is growing, and, and that's terrific, and there's Eau Claire is growing. But frankly, um, if we're ever going to have economic prosperity for everyone in a state like Wisconsin, we've got to come up with some solutions other than tax cuts for the rich. Well, growth isn't the issue here as much, Sly. Again, this is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. But the vast majority of the wealth that's been created over the preceding decades has ended up in the hands of a very small sliver of the billionaire class. And in the investment gains, quote-unquote investment gains, uh, of Wall Street and, and the finance insurance and real estate sectors. For the average person, even in Madison, you know, how much has their living standard improved since, let's call it, you know, 1960? Uh, and I think you, you probably see more folks in Madison or the other places across the country whose economies are growing who are struggling. And you look at places like northern Wisconsin, as you referenced, where that percentage of people who are working class struggle, it's gone through the roof. The, the reality here is wages and living standards have not been going up. And that's because bargaining power amongst working class people at a given employer, in a given sector or industry, and across the economy has been eroded. You add on to that, Sly, that there's been a national choice to essentially get rid of the wealth-producing jobs in production um, so that the bottom lines of shareholders in the big firms like, you know, GE and Boeing can improve. Um, and then add on top of that governmental austerity. Uh, we don't have social programs that enhance community wealth and deal with social needs. Then bring forward the final, you know, piece of this lie about how our living standards have struggled with this brand of free market fundamentalist capitalism. The, the fact that we don't have social insurance programs in this country. You know, we, we don't provide, you know, democratic social rights to people with guarantees by government. Just think about what wealth for folks in, you know, Rhinelander or Algoma might be like if there was a guarantee that health care costs were taken care of. Just imagine what life would be like for the people of, you know, Alma Center or Marshfield if there was a guaranteed elder care and child care program. These basic fundamental social rights to health care, housing, living wages, care, uh, care and education. I, I think we'd live in a vastly different place. And this pandemic has exposed so much of the inequities and injustices that have piled up over preceding decades. But it's also created this incredible opportunity here. That's, that's what I, I, I want your listeners to take away from this. We're in an incredible moment here where some of these, you know, obscurities have been pulled away. Folks are seeing now, you know what, our economy doesn't have to work the way that it's been. Working class people have always been essential. We didn't, we didn't need to just walk away from a pandemic and say, hey, thanks, grocery store workers who fed us. Hey, 
Thanks, meatpacking plant workers who put their lives on the line to feed us. Hey, thanks, nursing home and hospital CNAs and housekeepers and dietary aides for being health care heroes. There's a certain set of our country that has always been essential, and we've grappled with it. We've gone through a pandemic where health care has not been a right. We've seen how dramatic the need is for universal child care and elder care. We've seen now with this explosion in housing costs just how fundamentally broken putting a, a, a basic need like housing subject to market commodification is. We've seen how nutty that is. So now is a time, I think, when folks are recognizing that this version of capitalism simply doesn't work. And it's time to articulate an alternative. What's the American alternative? to free market fundamentalist capitalism. Is it going to look the same as Denmark? Is it going to look the same as Sweden? I don't know. But I think working class people, by getting involved in the struggle for social, economic, and racial justice, a more just, equitable, and democratic society, we have a chance to shape what that looks like. And that's what's incredibly exciting about this moment. Yeah, there's going to be Republicans who talk about cutting unemployment benefits. But the truth is, they're irrelevant to what the conversation of the future is going to be like if working class people come together organize, mobilize, and fight for the world we deserve. All right, one and more one more question before we go. I want to ask you about your... Wait, should I get off my high horse first, or do you, do you want me to... No, no, the horse there? is good. The, the, okay. I don't think okay. horses should smoke marijuana, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's good for them. Uh, let me ask you this. How are your folks that you represent, the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers, uh, now that the Bucks are beginning to open things up again and some of the restaurants are opening. How are they doing? Well, it's a struggle. You know, we've just talked about how, you know, there's a quote-unquote workforce shortage that's still a wage shortage. You know, this is a group of people that's wrestling with it more than anybody. And I'll be the first to tell you, Sly, the jobs that are held by our members, where they are represented by the union, are as good a hospitality and service sector job as you're going to find. But still, because of the nature of that industry and the way those labor markets are constructed, that's only one share of their income and employment. Now, imagine if you're a cook at Pfizer Forum and you're going to work and you're making 18 bucks an hour. You're treated with dignity and respect. Your, your work is valued and you know that your wages are growing into the future and that there's a chance to do even more with that job. It seems pretty good, but it's not a 40-hour week job. And you've got to work one or two other jobs as a cook mm -hmm. across different employers to improve things in your life. I think about a guy like Troy Brewer, someone I've probably referenced on the show before. He's such a great example of this. He's a single father raising two daughters. And, you know, he was a leading part of our union, transforming employment through their union contract. Um, and a leader of dozens of cooks who, who look to him and say, you know, we follow Troy because we know that he's a fighter for us. And we know that he's the person calling the shots in the union. It's workers who call these shots. Incredible story. Troy has to go to work at two other jobs to be able to pay the bills for his family. And I think he said it best. What if those other employers were meeting the same standards as what his employer at the arena does? And what if there was something that sits at the center of that hospitality, entertainment, tourism, restaurant industry that helps dispatch and work through the labor market needs of employers and workers alike? So that, you know, it's not up to Troy to figure out how does he balance the schedule across three jobs. But somebody is sorting through for all those employers who need cooks like Troy. And for all those cooks like Troy who need to find employers who are looking to hire and employ them. Someone that, that could figure out how to make that labor market work better for them. That's something that folks are struggling with right now because we're in this moment where 
a labor market, as I noted before, broken before the pandemic has been utterly scrambled by COVID-19. And now it's coming out of it unsure of itself. And that's the big thing that our union is working on, because the folks like Troy deserve a labor market that works for them. And frankly, the employers in those industries deserve a labor market that will ensure that the Troy brewers of the world can make a career. God, you know, it would be such an inspirational story. I, I sure wish the the national cable networks, you know, even the ones that aren't as bad like MSNBC and CNN would talk about some of this stuff. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm bemused that Matt Gates snorted uh, cocaine with a hooker. I mean, that that's entertaining. I, I get a <laughs> kick out of that, but frankly, I don't think it matters to anybody's life. That should be on E and TMZ and on <laughs> CNN and MSNBC. We should be, we should be hearing about, you know, what's being done to change these labor markets. What are some of the ideas that can be grappled with? And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something here, Sly. Yeah, I'm as big an advocate as you will find, I think, for raising the minimum wage at $15 an hour and passing the PRO Act so that we make our current labor law work for workers. But those are not enough because in these service industry jobs, you know, whether it's folks like Troy who cook for a living or it's janitors, security guards, you know, their industries are constructed differently. And we need different policy solutions. Now, our, our labor laws in this country were written closer to the Civil War than what they are to today. I mean, that should blow people's minds. So just tinkering around the edges and strengthening those labor laws isn't going to fix things for folks like Troy. We need a whole new labor law regime in this country oriented towards the service sector employment that makes up the disproportionate share of jobs and a, and a growing share, by the way. Well, I, the future. I just sent you an article about Youngstown and their difficulty clawing their way out of the hole that they're in. And the scale that's needed to create the type of jobs to create a thriving community that Youngstown and so many other cities once were, you know, electric vehicles and batteries are all good, but the, the scale of jobs, just, it isn't enough. It's just not enough to replace what's missing since the steel mills are gone. Well, and what's, what's replaced, not a one for one replacement. It's not quite that simple, but what exists now is a, a broad service industry. And we need to transform those jobs. I'll leave you with this slide because I, I know we've got to wrap. Um, you know, one, you know, we need a we need a cable channel in this country focused on the, the struggles of working people dealing with what's going on and how we're going to solve those problems. And if you if you drive up to the north side here with me in Milwaukee next time you're in town, we'll go to the site of the old American Motors plant on Capitol. Sure, where the wall where the Walmart is. Exactly, there's a Walmart. There's fast food. There's other retail. That's what's happened in this economy is those factory jobs that we've lost, they're gone. They're not, they're not coming back right now. And, and we need a much longer discussion about industrial policy to change that over time. I'm not satisfied with saying they're gone and they're not coming back. They're not coming back in the meanwhile. What we need to do is focus on the jobs that exist today and will exist tomorrow. Now, those jobs in factory slide, they weren't always good jobs. It was a union movement, working class people's movement, and policymakers responding to their needs that transformed those dirty, dangerous, underpaid, underappreciated jobs of the 1920s and 30s into the bedrock of the world's first middle class. There is literally no reason that we cannot take those jobs that exist at that Walmart and at those fast food places and at those retail outlets that are on the side of the old AMC plant and turn them into good family-supporting living wage jobs. Once again, it's going to be with unions. It's going to be with policy changes that empower those workers in that labor market to change their lives. We can have what a, we need in this country. We can create a new 30th Street corridor. Peter Rickman, Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers. Thanks for coming to Sly's Office.com. Thanks for having me on, Sly. Take care, brother. 
Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.